Murdering Michael Malloy is an original screenplay based on a notorious true crime case that happened in the Bronx, New York, in the early 1930s. It involved a man named Anthony Marino, the owner of a bar that faced constant financial problems, a group of Marino's cohorts, and an aging neighborhood drunk named Michael Malloy. Despite his indigence and alcoholism, Malloy was a gifted yarn spinner, always able to catch a free drink out of a patron in return for an amusing and often philosophical tale. It's January 1932, and our story begins in a Bronx bar called Marino's, named after its owner. The bartender, Joe Murphy, presides over the modest bar crowd. Anthony Marino is celebrating with his soon-to-be bride, Betty Carlson. At the end of the bar stands an Irishman of 50 or so years. This is Michael Malloy. If you'd only splurge for the price of a whiskey, my olfactories would be primed so as to recite a verse for you. <laughs> Go on, Murphy, pour me another one. I'm shot. Yeah, Joe. Pour the future Mrs. Tony Marino one more. On the house, seeing it's my house, right? Sure, Tony, you're the boss. Here you go. Happy days, you bunch of bums. Hey, Murphy, see what Tony gives me? That's a real nice ring, Betty. Yeah, nice ring. Some kill their love when they are young, and some when they are old. Some strangle with the hands of lust, some with the hands of gold. Hey, Tony, Harry's outside waiting. Me and Tony, we're getting hitched, see? He did not wear his scarlet coat for blood and wine are red. And blood and wine were on his hands when they found him with the dead. The poor dead woman whom he loved and murdered in her bed. Here you go, Betty. Cheers. You're my baby, Tony. We're going to be so happy forever. Sure we are, Betty. Drink up. That's two bits, Malloy. Pay up. I refer you, my dear fellow, to our patron here who had offered to buy me the last round in exchange for a little recitation. Tony, he don't got a cent. So toss his mick ass out onto the street. I'll be going of my own accord, gentlemen. Michael Malloy knows when his company is not appreciated. Get out, you bum. And no coming back, you hear? Gee, lover. Mm. Maybe I'll lay off the sauce. Hey, Betty, watch out. Betty, you okay? Relax, Joe. Time to go anyway. Help me lift her up. Here now, Betty. Let us carry you upstairs where you can sleep it off. But Anthony Marino and Joseph Murphy didn't take Betty Carlson upstairs. Instead, they took her outside in the pouring rain and put her in the rumble seat of a 1929 Ford Deluxe, which was wide open to the stormy night skies. Where is she, Tony? Stinko, let's drive. Where to? Her place, for Christ's sake. Over there. Don't burn the bed. I'll undress. Joe, turn the radio off. I'll take you out of the bathtub. Hurry up and fill up that bucket before she comes to. Oh, I ain't thinking that's gonna happen anytime soon, Tony. Who told you to think at all? Here you go, Tony. Nice and cold. What are you handing it to me for? Pour it on her. Nice and gentle so she won't wake up. Joe, open the windows. Good and wide. Come on, let's blow out of here and get in the car. I don't know. It's, it's a little strange seeing a lion there like that, just waiting for... Just... It's too late for that now, no, Joe. Anyway, she only had a few months left with that syphilis. Wonder how she got it. Shut the hell up. Hey, Harry, watch out! <laughs> Who the hell is it? Oh, it's that bum Malloy. I just threw him out of the bar. He asked for some credit. He never paid. Watch where you're going, you bastard. What's this dirty brother, Mr. Dollar? Maybe you should have hit him, done the neighborhood a favor. 
The next day was a sad day for Anthony Marino, who watched as Dr. Manzilla filled out the death certificate for his fiance, who had tragically died from alcohol-induced exposure. Well, there you are. Uh, sorry for your loss, Mr. Marino. And we was just getting hitched just next week. One minute you're here, the next minute you're screwed. By the way, drop by my place anytime you want. Drinks are on the house. Yeah, thanks. Uh, I'll take you up on that. Anthony Marino's next stop was the Guilford Insurance Agency on Fordham Road. I appreciate you coming in, Mr. Marino. I know your fiancé's passing has made this a difficult time for you. You got my check? Uh, sign here, please. 832 bucks, right? Yes, that's right. You'll receive the check in the mail sometime in the next 30 days. 30 goddamn days? What the hell's the wait? You're not a blood relative or a spouse. That's the law, Mr. Marino. Christ, what a racket. And from there, it was on to a bar that was nicer than his own, Tiny Bastone's Speakeasy. Nat Maglione, Bastone's number one henchman, answered the door. Why, hello, Anthony. What brings you here today? No need to tell me. I think you did it, didn't you? What do you think? Well, isn't Anthony Marino the lady killer? Who would have thought? Shut up and let me in. I gotta see him. Mr. Bastone's in the back on his throne, most likely. And Anthony... Will I see you at the usual spot in Riverside Park at the usual time tonight? Yeah, I suppose you will. Who would you like me to be this time? Carol Lombard, maybe? Or Constance Bennett? Lombard's okay with me. Just remember... I know, lover boy. Not on the lips. Now you, Tony. I can tell by your footsteps. They're nervous. I'm back here on the can. Oh, hi, Tiny. I can wait out here if you want. What for? I'm almost finished. So, what's the grift? No grift. It's on the square. A dame I knew kicked the other night. She left me a life insurance. I was the beneficiary or something. How much you get? A little over 800 bucks. 832 to be exact. 32 bucks ain't a little over. These days, you could buy a new car with 32 bucks. See, that's your problem, Tony. You don't appreciate a buck. That's why you run your business into the ground. Anyway... You made yourself a nice score. And what do you need from me? Alone. It's stiffing me for 30 days because I ain't a relative. 30 days ain't so long, Tony. And what I charge, it's better for you to wait it out. I got bills, Tiny. They're going to shut me down unless I pay up and quick. You know what, Tony? If you ever had to really go it alone, you'd sink like a steel ball in a goddamn ocean. Why don't you wise up and take my offer? Who needs the headache of owning your own place? I'll take it over for you and leave you to run it however you like. I'll even let you keep a piece of the action. No thanks, I ain't selling. I'm my own boss. And if you don't want to loan me the dough, that's okay with me. All right, all right. I'll carry you. But rates are a little high this month due to the cops cracking down. How much you charge? I'll take 300 off the top. That's almost half my dough. And just because I like you, I'll loan you back 150 at 10%. I don't know why, Tony. But you're like the son I never had. Thanks, Pop. I'll take it because I got no choice. a boy. And by the way, how's your love life, Tony? <laughs> his last stop for the day before opening his bar for business was the office of Dr. Manzella, who signed the death certificate of Betty Carlson. This visit, however, was for something different. We're making great strides in curing your disease, Mr. Marino, and in no time, people won't even remember what syphilis was. Hey, you ain't gonna put that thing on Well, my... it was the source of your problem, wasn't it? So it might be the solution. Oh! You're killing me! Oh! But at 10 p.m. that night in Riverside Park, that Anthony Marino was gone. 
replaced by another Anthony Marino, one that he himself loathed but couldn't find a way to avoid. You know, the fan magazines all say that I'm crazy for William Powell. Do you think I'm crazy for him? If you are, you better watch out or I'll... Oh, yeah. Right there, a little faster. Oh, yeah. Hey, why'd you stop? Call me by my name when you address me and be a gentleman. Now, try again, Anthony. Why'd you stop, Carol? Because Carol Lombard doesn't like being threatened. If you threaten me again, I'll go to my new boyfriend, Russ Columbo, and he'll get his friends who run the nightclubs to take care of you. And believe me, his friends will take care of you real good. All right, I'm sorry, Carol. Can we keep going, please? One little kiss and Carol will do pretty much anything you want. Do you want more of this? Mm, keep going, please. Nope, that's all you get until one little kiss, lips to lips, just like this. <gasps> Ow, my eye! Get yourself lost before I tell your boss all about you and your filthy mind. One year later, in January 1933, Franklin D. Roosevelt was the newly elected president, and prohibition was coming to an end. Goddamn Franklin Roosevelt and goddamn Joe Kennedy. Couple months from now, and I'm in a business with what booze getting legal? Yeah. I say they had the whole thing planned. Old gum legs calls Joe and says, Hey, I got a deal for you. It's in Congress as we speak. Go buy as much Canadian hooch as you lay your mixed son of a bitch hands on. Yep, and a goddamn bottle of Canuck quadrupled since last week. Hey, Tony. I came in early to sweep What's up this? and... The envelope? I don't know. Someone shoved it under the door. It's addressed to you, so I didn't want to touch it. Read it to me. Says Mr. Anthony Marino, Official Business Bank of New York. Notice of foreclosure. What does that mean? It means they're trying to run me out of my own building just because I'm a few months behind with my payments. I'm going upstairs, Joe. I need to do some planning. Anyone comes by, we're serving. But no more free lunch tray. And no more serving anything but the baptized. I got to keep every good bottle I got if I'm going up against Joe Kennedy and Franklin D. Roosevelt. Me, Joe. I got Frank Pasco with me. Hey, how you doing, Frank? Funeral business treating you great. I ain't buried nobody since I put Betty in the ground for Tony. And he still owes half on that. Good luck. Hey, watch it. Tony's a good man and pays his debts. Always. As long as he keeps that insurance though flowing in. I'm warning you, Harry. Ah, relax. We're our friends here, right? Speaking of which, where's Tony? Upstairs, making some plans or something. He sure runs one hell of a business for someone who can barely read or sign his own name. Who gotta be able to sign his own name when the next will do just fine? So how about pouring us some of the good stuff? Tony said no serving nothing but the baptized on account of him and Joe Kennedy. Tony knows Joe Kennedy? Tony knows lots of people. You'd be surprised, Frank. <laughs> sure, Frank. As we speak, he's breaking the news to Winchell that him and Gene Harlow are getting hitched. So maybe they are. What's so funny about that? Oh, Jesus, Joe, come on. Anyway, Tony's not the marrying kind, if you know what I mean. Dame start talking marriage to Tony, next thing you know, he's buying them life insurance. That's it. Hey, guys, settle down. He can't say that. He can't say that about my boss. You're lucky I got a customer. Step aside. Who is it? Why, if a friend comes to pay his debt and respect. Who is he? Rummy Mick, who used to be that janitor over Rex Hall. Owes me three and change, not to mention what he's into Tony for. Why, Mr. Murphy, good afternoon. I was wondering if I might stop in for just a wee one. Tony says not till you pay up. It's a peculiar thing you'd ask, lad. I just so happen to have brought the amount in full 
in the form of my lucky gold piece. That the truth? Cause it is, my boy. Belonged to my grandmother. She told me to save it for a rainy day, and it's a bit wet outside, as I'm sure you can see. I found it under my bed. Completely forgot where I put it. And I run over here fast as I could, because nobody can say that Michael Malloy doesn't pay his debts. Ah, Mr. Christenberger. Kreisberg. Harry Kreisberg. That's right. How's the little one? Which little one? Why, I can't keep up with you, Harry. You married that Rafferty girl off Paychester Avenue, am I right? So what? We was both willing. And there'll be snow-white blackbirds before an unwilling woman ties the knot. And you, sir, Mr. Pascala, correct? Pasqua. Francis Pasqua. Most people call me Frank. You're a fellow I long admired. Have we met? Not in the formal sense, but like all artists, you're instantly recognizable by those of us who only aspire to walks amongst you. I'm an undertaker in Harlem. The work you performed on the little old lady I spent my last three years taking care of, sir, it qualifies you as an artist's artist. She was sick as a wet hound, but when you were finished with her, her eyes shone with the light that I'd seen in them once long ago. Say, that's swell. Though I can't say I remember each and every stiff that comes my way. And Mr. Murphy, my good man. Since I come way down here with the good intent of paying off my tab, what'd you say to putting a wee one at the bottom of my bill to warm my insides? I got strict orders from Tony not to put no more on anybody more than a week late on account of Joe Kennedy. Joe Kennedy? Don't tell me your Mr. Marino is acquainted with my dear old friend Joe. Though I hasten to add, I... I haven't seen him since his wedding day. You know him, too? Looks like everyone in the Bronx knows Joe Kennedy except in us. Come on, Joe. Pour him one on me. Frank. Bless you, my boy. You just tell Mr. Marino that Michael Malloy come to pay his debt in person and that his friend, uh, your name is... Frank Pasqua. Tell him my good friend Frank offered me one on account of it being an Irish holiday. What holiday? Why, as we speak... The sons of Erin this world over are fully celebrating this monumental day. And wait, wait, did you not say that your given name was Francis? Yeah, so what? Holy Jesus, son of Mary. Now, don't you find that just a little too coincidental? A man whose name just happens to be Francis offers to buy me, Michael Malloy, a drink on St. Francis' Day. Wow, it's almost a miracle, huh? Could we make it a double then, Joe? Uh, well, you'll all be joining me then, will you not? In honor of St. Francis Day. Sure, three, Joe. A toast then. To Ireland. The horse and mule live thirty years, and nothing know of wine and beers. The goat and sheep at twenty die, and never taste of scotch or rye. The dog at fifteen cashes in, without the aid of rum or gin. The cat in milk and water soaks, and then in twelve short years she croaks. The modest, sober, bone-dry hen lays eggs for nogs, then dies at ten. All animals are strictly dry. They sinless live and swiftly die. But sinful, ginful, rum-soaked men 
survived for three score years and ten. And some of us, the mighty few, keep drinking till we're 92. The Joe Kennedy. All right. All right. <laughs> Tony, what's going on here? What's, what's he doing? Why, it's Mr. Marino, our proprietor. What are you doing up there, lad? Hiding from the fairies? I live here, Malloy. Do you now? Why, that must be heaven living in your own place of business. Imagine just rolling out of bed any time you got the thirst. He, he come in to pay his bill. Let me see the dough. It's actually a gold piece from his mother's bed or something. Gold piece, huh? Hand it over. Uh, unfortunately, I seem to have misplaced it on the way over. Or perhaps on my way out the door. I'm not yet certain of the locale of my unfortunate gaff. Yeah, we'll cover him, Tony. I'll say you will. Hey, what's that you're serving? That ain't the baptized. You've been serving the good stuff to this son of a bitch? Which one of you clowns got the money to pay for that bottle? I got it, Tony. Let me see. I, uh, well, could you put it on my tab? God damn it. God damn it all the hell. You, Malloy, get out of my joint. I meant no harm, Mr. Marino. I merely meant to pay a debt. I'm an honorable man, you see. Honorable, my ass. You're a dewy-eyed donkey sod who goes around picking up spit because you think it's a nickel. Now beat it. We barely even met, Mr. Marino. Yet you'd formed the most unfortunate impression of me. A good evening to you all. Happy St. Francis Day. Joe, don't let that bum back in my joint, you get me? Not even if he's got the dough to settle up. He'll be dead before that happens. We ought to get a pool going. How long till Malloy goes stiff? Sure, we'll do it like the numbers, guys. Cut our take off the top and ride on the rest. Make a killing of a rummy. Pretty funny I am, ain't I? No, pretty stupid. What's that supposed to mean? It means you got a good idea, only you're too stupid to see the real money that we could make if we did it right. One hour and two bottles of Canadian whiskey later. All I said was we start up a pool. I didn't say nothing about insuring the Mick. I say once was enough, more than enough, as a matter of fact. Twice is pushing the fates. What fates? Some freeloading drunk who's going to turn up his toes any minute now? He drops dead tomorrow. Nobody gets nothing from his life. This way, we're making his life worth something. What? 50 bones apiece? Last time you said we divvy things even. Last time there was problems. Last time we only had one policy. That was the end of episode one of Murdering Michael Malloy, a four-part podcast adaptation of the original screenplay by the same name, written by Raymond DiFelida and David Zellerford, and recorded for season one of Screenplay Resurrection by Hangover Lounge. Murdering Michael Malloy stars the late Kevin Conway as Michael Malloy and Joseph DeVito as Anthony Marino. Robert Bruzio plays Murphy, Frank Whaley plays Kreisberg, Michael Rispoli plays Pasqua, Joe Perino plays Maglioni, and Gary Pastori plays Tiny Bastone. Other voices include Kyle Kessis, Chuck Montgomery, and Rachel McIntosh. I'm your narrator, Farron Neme. You can follow us on Instagram at Screenplay Resurrection and join our mailing list at ScreenplayResurrection.com. There you will find all the information you need to enter your own screenplay for consideration for an audio production on our podcast. Thanks for listening, and please come back for more.